Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Hello and welcome to another edition of Fizz 5. Today is December 7th. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. My name is Ethan Frank, joined by Liam Griffin. Liam, how are you? I'm great, Ethan. How are you? It's uh, obviously a hectic time. Bowl game, Georgetown coming up. Great time to be alive. It's busy, but you know that's just how we like it up here in oh, yeah. central New York. It's nice and cold outside. The snow's been coming down. No, I don't think it's cold. I'm wearing shorts. Yeah, well, you're a psychopath. <laughs> I'm not denying it. I won't deny that. All right, let's 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 get right into what's going on up here in CNY. Number one. Starting with men's basketball. Up and down two-game stretch, a 22-point loss to Virginia, and then an 11-point win over Cornell in the following game. I mean, my big takeaway, I mean, this team was embarrassed at UVA. Yeah. This is one of the you know top four, five teams in the ACC, and, and it showed. And it was just a different class. Uh, it, it was different than how Syracuse played against Tennessee and Gonzaga. You know, another team in probably that same echelon. But playing in a true road environment, I, I think, hurt Syracuse. And it was a young team that just needs more experience in that type of area. Yeah, Ethan, I think coming into the game, we kind of underestimated Virginia a little bit, even though the Cavaliers had knocked off Texas A&M, a top 20 team in the country, a few days prior. I mean, this Cavaliers team, very, very young, not a ton of experience. They had a ton of super seniors last year. They came in relying on guys like Reese Beekman, Isaac Keneally, who really, Ethan, were the only two veterans on that team. So coming into the contest, I was thinking, yeah, I'm thinking UVA wins by 10 to 12 points here. Well, the Cavaliers hit that margin by halftime and just kept running away with it. And Syracuse didn't seem prepared for the pack line defense Tony Bennett has become really well known for. And then on the defensive end of the ball, how do you let Isaac McNeely keep shooting the three-pointer? They just didn't look prepared or no. ready to play against that competition. No, it, it was not a great look. And I think that's just what you're going to get with a young team like this. You know, I, I can't say it enough. This is a team that is starting four sophomores and a junior who's in his first year with the program. So the inexperience and then coming off the bench, uh, the three guys we saw against Cornell were two sophomores, and a guy in his first year with the program who hasn't played a whole lot of college basketball. This is a really, really young team, and that cannot be overemphasized. Yeah, it really can't be overemphasized. And I think about, I mean, like, but at the same time, Ethan, they are sophomores now. They've had a year under their belt. Do you expect them to... Completely but not, a, I, but not, I, a, not, I a, not a year, not a year when Chris Bell is yeah. being asked to score 15 points a game. No, absolutely not. And you mentioned it, very, very young team. I don't think, I don't think they're playing a single junior, with the exception of maybe Kyle Cuff. Naheem McLeod is a junior. Naheem McLeod is a junior. That's right. But no seniors in the lineup. And Naheem McLeod's a transfer. Kyle Cuff is a transfer. They don't have a guy who's playing consistent minutes that has been around the program that you would typically expect a veteran player to be, that's really, really dangerous. And Right, you don't have Benny Williams, who didn't play against Cornell for what Adrian Autry said was, you know, he played the guys that thought would give his team the best chance to win. Oh, and, I, you know, I respect that. So do I. I respect that decision, and it's an indictment on Benny as if there haven't been enough so far to, to start the year. Um, but going back to the Virginia game, a really tough one for Judah Mintz, only five points, then comes back against Cornell and, and scores 
scores 28. And, I mean, look, moving forward, teams are going to watch this Virginia yeah. film. How did how did they defend Syracuse's offense, and especially Mintz, and use that moving forward? And that's what you have to prepare for and adjust off if you're Syracuse. It well, can't just be the Judas show. What I'll say about that, Ethan, is Virginia plays a defense like few other teams in collegiate basketball do. It's a defense that's easily shiftable from man to zone, easy to block up passing lanes. Not many teams in the NCAA are going to sport that. But you get to the ACC, that's just a taste of it. When you're going up against the Miamis, UNCs, Dukes of the World, probably better teams than UVA, you're asking for trouble. No, you, you are 100%. And, you know, if Jude is going to play like that, then you need what we saw on Tuesday yeah. night in the Dome, which is consistency from Chris Bell, yeah. consistency from Justin Taylor. It's good rebounding from Malik Brown. It's energy and defense from Quadir Copeland. Um, and it's playmaking from J.J. Yeah. Starling. You need all of these guys to do what they're best at, and that's what we saw a lot of the time, yeah. especially when Jude Mintz wasn't on the floor in the second half. Yeah, I want to bring up, you mentioned it, Judah not being on the floor in the second half. I, I get wanting to play with aggression and physicality. In fact, you're not going to survive on a basketball court if you don't do that. But five fouls over, what was it, a 32-second spin? That was crazy. It that was is, one possession. That's, a, that's absurd. That can't happen. That yeah. can never, ever happen. And you're going up against an Ivy League team who also shot 33 three-pointers, by the way, something that should, that should also never happen in college basketball. Well, that's their that's Cornell's game. They play fast and they shoot threes. Once you get to ACC play, letting a team like that take that many open threes, it's going to hurt you. Committing that many fouls over such a short period is going to burn you. Any other big takeaways from the bounce back against Cornell? It was kind of what I expected it to be, Ethan. Cornell came in 7-1, a team I firmly believe could win the Ivy League this year. I didn't think it was going to be a runaway of any means, but... I thought the big red were going to keep it close, and then SU might pull away at the end, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, a, a big shot from J.J. Starling down the stretch with oh, yeah. Syracuse only up 71-68, pulled up at the foul line with about a minute left to make it a five-point cushion, and Syracuse ended up cruising from there. All right, any any other basketball thoughts before we move on? We'll talk some more later oh, yeah. in the show. We need more out of J.J. Starling being a jump shooter. All right, with that, let's move it on. Number two. Fran Brown, officially introduced as the 31st head coach in Syracuse football history. I wrote down three words here to describe him after his uh, appearance at the game, men's basketball game on Tuesday. Authentic, passionate, real. Yeah. You agree with that? I would agree with that. And the big takeaway from watching that press conference on Monday, one, one thing he said in particular stuck out to me. The exact line was, I believe, you, you can't say you're a championship team and then give a 6-6 six and six effort. I absolutely love that. It, it reminds me of a when Coach Yo said, you want to act like a star, you better give me star effort in the Disney classic, Remember the Titans. And that gives you goosebumps. That gets you ready to run through a brick wall. Are you saying that SU is going to be a championship contender right away? Probably not, but if that's the mindset and culture you're setting in your program from day one, you're doing something right. I I think that you might, one of my other big takeaways was it doesn't seem like the guy wastes time. He's a no. doer. He goes and gets stuff done. And, you know, it seems like he's been out on the recruiting trail, and, and we'll talk about that plenty. But guys are decommitting or entering the portal left and right and coming to take official visits to Syracuse. And Fran Brown is a doer. He is going to go do things. He's not going to sit around and waste time. I want to, you know, compare a little bit Fran Brown's introduction to Dino Baber's introduction. Because I spent some time the other day going back and watching Dino you Baber's introduction. You dug back deep. Introductory press conference in his speech. He gave a two-plus-minute speech at uh, at the basketball game that he yep. attended right after he was introduced. 
and it was I mean, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever watched. Uh, his big line was belief without evidence. If that wasn't a foreshadowing for what we saw over his tenure at Syracuse, I don't know what could have been written. That would be better than that. Uh, and, that that's, you know, the, that's the Dino Babers way. And, you know, he talked a lot about faith and, and believing. And, you know, that's kind of what he preached all the way up until the end. Fran Brown. Just talks about, you know, I'm just a guy from Camden. This is all I'll ever need. I just want to work. I want to win. I want to develop these these young men into adults, have them be successful on the field, be successful off the field. And it's really hard not to buy into that. It's, it's absolutely not. And you reading those lines from Coach Babers to me make me think, yeah, he seems like a great guy, but that's not exactly inspiring as a football coach. You know, the way Fran Brown talked about it, it's like, yeah, I want I want to the way the impression I got was I want to keep the culture that Coach Babers got, and I think part of that stems from Nunzio Campanelli remaining on the staff, a guy that players seem to have bought into and has great charisma, as we saw after the Wake Forest game. And then with that, you're also being like, yeah, this is a business. We're going to treat it as such going forward. The serious level needs to be up. And I think that's evident in the coaches he's brought in. Ethan Nick Williams, defensive ends coach, coming in from Colorado, worked under Coach Prime last year. And then Elijah Robinson, your new defensive coordinator coming in from Texas A&M. Ethan, the reactions from Aggie fans on social media Bad. have I've been talked, I've talked. I've talked to people as well who have said they know people down in that area that they are not happy that Elijah Robinson is is leaving. Yeah. I was talking to one, one of my best friends goes to Texas A&M. He didn't have words. He didn't have no words. words. No he, words. No, he, he was shook, for the lack wow. of a better word. Wow, that uh, that's a big endorsement for for Fran Brown. One thing I will say that I am a bit concerned about with Fran Brown, you know, all this positivity and all this optimism and all this momentum. Can the guy coach? Yeah. Can he manage a game? How how does he manage in game decisions? Does how does he help with game planning? And he's bringing in coaches that are not really coordinator or play calling experienced coaches. How how does he handle that? And that is going to be a huge question that we won't know until September. Yeah, I think. The big focus or message we've gotten with Fran Brown has been recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. That's why you bring in Robinson. That's why you bring in Williams. You mentioned it, Ethan. We're not going to know anything about his coaching style until the opening kickoff. And I, I want to say it's late August because of the leap year. But with that in mind, I lost my train of thought. But you can't not be excited. Okay, I've got it back. Okay. He has no coordinator experience, and he's jumping right to head coach. And I know he said in his press conference that, he had no interest in making that transition, going from defensive backs coach to defensive coordinator, then the head coach. He wanted to just make the jump right then and there. That's great. Show me, don't tell me. Yeah, and we'll see. Uh, there's been a lot of momentum with NIL. Good story in Syracuse.com on Thursday from Bren Axe talking about the amount of people that have donated and become you know, monthly donors to Orange United, Syracuse's NI, preferred NIL collective that will you know help out players and, and bring guys in that Fran Brown can recruit at a higher level because these guys that come in, they're going to want to get paid. Yeah, absolutely. And, you I mean, that's that's been the talk of the town with SU Athletics over the past really few years, Ethan. It's inability to compete in the NIL landscape, especially since the departure of Adam Weitzman from having any sort of affiliation with SU Athletics. How, what does Fran Brown do to fix that? Because that aspect of college athletics, newsflash, not going away anytime soon. A lot of talk on the recruiting trail with Fran Brown. That leads us right into our next topic. Number three. A lot of official visits being taken yeah. to Syracuse this weekend. I've got a list. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six four-stars that I made count of 
are visiting Syracuse yep. this weekend, and then a few other three stars as well, including Whit Muschamp, quarterback, son of former Florida coach Will Muschamp. So the little football lineage lineage there, the big names, King Joseph Edwards, defensive end, considering Syracuse, Coy Beasley, I believe is the defensive back from Purdue, uh, who, who's committed to Purdue, but Syracuse trying to flip. Uh, I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Jalen Hornsby, who's committed to Stanford, a wide receiver from yeah. Virginia, only a three-star but would be a big get. I mean, I could I could name another dozen <laughs> names. What Fran Brown has done in a week is incredibly impressive. Ethan, I have a list of schools right in front of me right now. Purdue, Texas A&M, Colorado and Coach Prime, and Florida State. Ethan, can you tell me, the? You're, you've been a Syracuse fan longer, a lot longer than I have. Can you tell me the last time SU was in the mix for players being recruited by those or similar schools and actually had a decent shot to land them? Not since the era that uh, Fran Brown mentioned a lot in his press conference and in his media availability, which was Paul Pasqualoni and George DeLeon back in the 90s and the early 2000s. Bingo. The guy you mentioned I want to bring up in specific, King Joseph Edwards, final three. Does that make me King Ethan? Uh, If I'm King Liam, then I think we can have that discussion. Um... Syracuse, Colorado, and Florida State are King Joseph Edwards' last three schools. And I'm pulling this exact quote from Sports Illustrated. Quote, he will make his decision on December 19th. New Orange head coach Fran Brown was involved with Edwards' recruitment to Georgia. That's a saying a lot. And there have been crystal balls come in on 24-7 sports linking uh, Edwards to Syracuse. And then, so Colorado's on his list, but who was probably his primary recruiter at Colorado – Nick Nick Williams, who is now the defensive yeah. end coach at Syracuse. And, you know, it's interesting, with all these Texas A&M guys entering the portal in the wake of Elijah Robinson decommitting, including guys that have played key minutes for the Aggies who haven't been what they usually are in the realm of college football, but still in SEC school, you're still going up against the Alabamas and Georgias of the world on a consistent basis. You have guys playing consistent minutes at an SEC school, transferring, maybe, probably not solely because, but in large part because Elijah Robinson, who, like Fran Brown, is one of the top ten recruiters in the country, you have them decommit. And even though I don't remember if it was Elijah Robinson or Fran Brown who said it, that I'm not focused on pulling players from Texas A&M to Syracuse, respectfully, I'm calling nonsense. You're calling – wow. Calling out Elijah Robinson before oh, okay, okay. he's even officially been do, introduced do, as defensive. Do you defensive. really think that they're not going to, at minimum, stay in touch? I, I, I can't I mean it's a, truly a who could say situation and I and I cannot say maybe you could say oh well, I, I I will admit I haven't had one-on-ones with those guys but we'll see uh but yes there are a lot of former top Texas A&M recruits when Elijah Robinson in 2022 was named the number one recruiter in the country just like Fran Brown was for the class of 2024 that have entered the transfer portal and have been linked to Syracuse it feels like Twice, three times a day, I, I'm scrolling on Twitter, and I see, oh, this X4 or 5-star from Texas A&M has entered the portal. You know who his primary recruiter was? Elijah Robinson. And who saw this coming? Whether who, who really saw this coming? I think when I heard the name Fran Brown was going to be the head coach of Syracuse and I started to learn more about him, I thought to myself, okay, great. I never in a million years, Ethan, thought the immediate results would be this catastrophic, for the lack of a better word, to the point where we have six four-star recruits coming to visit this weekend. It's kind of a bummer that the Georgetown game is in D.C. solely for that reason. I think that would be a wonderful introduction to the Dome crowd for them. Yeah. But that is 
it's awesome. It, it really is. It, yes, it, it would have been very cool for them to witness that kind of basketball game. That's kind of what Fran Brown said at halftime against Cornell was, let's keep cheering on these guys through March Madness and then get ready to roll for football season. One other thing in terms of recruiting, Syracuse definitely needs a quarterback. Oh, I'm yeah. going to have an article tomorrow morning on theorangefizz.com. That'll be Friday uh, in regards to some quarterbacks that are being linked to Syracuse. Uh, I'll give you a preview of a couple of names, maybe a little Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, someone as a potential Ooh. fit. I read an article, uh, a, a little bit, maybe a long shot for Kyle McCord from Ohio State. Um, so just a couple of the names um, that are uh, potential. Two, two things to add on with quarterbacks. One, University at Buffalo quarterback Cole Snyder. He's on the report, list. Reportedly Not Cole Swider, Cole, Cole Snyder. Reportedly coming to visit Syracuse. Two, is the name Riley Leonard on your list? No, he's going to Notre Dame. You think so? Yes. Uh, the name that I mean, it's wishful thinking. All this, love, I mean, I all, Riley, all these problems, all these problems would be avoided if Justin Lampson hadn't hadn't left for Stanford. This is now true. they're playing in the same conference. Oh, yeah. they're, they're gonna look at how that works. To the dome next year. Look at how that works. I know, crazy. All right, we'll be we'll be watched by them, but yeah. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to come up for that game. We'll be watching on TV. All right, yes, we will. let's get back to basketball and move things along. Number four. We mentioned Syracuse playing without Judah Mintz earlier, but it's worth bringing back up because it is clear just how much this team relies on him for scoring and for playmaking to get other guys open, even if that doesn't translate into yeah. assists. Because if he drives down the lane and kicks out to Justin Taylor, that means Justin Taylor, you know, Judah Mintz probably attracts two defenders, and Justin Taylor then can secondary playmake, either get to the basket or swing it to Chris Bell uh, or someone else for an open jump shot. What do you want to see more from Syracuse when Judamins isn't on the floor? A consistent secondary and tertiary scorer, Ethan. The story of Syracuse's offensive spread, for the lack of a better word, has been, you know, you're hoping and praying that Judah goes off. Because there's always been a second guy. It has not been consistent, but there has always been a second guy. Whether it be Mr. Justin Taylor Chris Bell, Mr. Justin Taylor. Mr. Justin why, why is he? Why did he? Why did he get a Mister? Nah, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, he he dapped me up. Uh, he dapped me up not too long ago when I saw him in public. So wow, I big know. for you. Uh, but Taylor Bell, JJ Starling, you can throw in a Quadier Copeland or Malik Brown. I would there, love to. I know. I know you would love to throw in Quadier Copeland. There has always been a second guy. Apologies for that email coming to my laptop. But there has never been a consistent third guy. So. You've been relying on Judah to do his thing and then insert player to do his thing on a, on any given night. That's not a recipe for success. I've said, you know, Syracuse was able to get an 11-point win. I've said you need double-digit, you know, 10 to 12 points combined from your two bigs every night. You need 10 to 12 from Naheem McLeod and Malik Brown combined. They combined for They combined for three against Cornell. Malik Brown did have 12 rebounds, seven offensive. Um, but you need more of a scoring output that from them. But it, it was it you know it was a good Justin Taylor night. He had 15. Chris Bell had 19, and Judah had 28. Yeah. So if you're gonna get that, then obviously you don't need as much scoring from from some other guys. But yes, you do need more from JJ Starling, and you just can't turn the ball over at the rate Syracuse has been. Ethan, I think you bring up an interesting point with the centers, like asking for X amount of points for them. Because truth be told, given Syracuse's center position right now, I don't know if down the line maybe this this probably won't be a problem against a Georgetown team that is in the 220s in the NCAA's net rankings, you can't rely on them down the line. Because why? Because none of them can stretch the floor. When you get to Filipowski, Paul, even Armando Baycott to a lesser extent, they can all go outside and play on the perimeter. Well, I'm, I'm, Malik Brown can defend on the perimeter. He's probably the best defender on the team. But my, when it comes to like offense on the perimeter, I should have been okay. my take. 
They're terrible ball. They're a terrible ball handling team. With that, Syracuse is also a terrible ball handling team. You want to know how you protect Judah? Protect the stinking ball. Stop turning it over, Ethan. I'm sorry. I think this team has a tendency to get flashy. To a... I, I guess so. Um, I, I think they are a very. I don't know what the word is. Like I don't know if it's flashy. They they're they're showmen. Uh, they, they like they like to you know they like to get going. That's why you had that quadier dunk at the end of the game. That's why you had that Judah dunk at the end of the game against Cornell because they were pumped up. And you need at least two floor spacers on the court yeah. at all times, um, if not more. You can't have a you, you just simply can't have a lineup where I don't think a lineup of Mintz, Starling, and Copeland all on the floor at one time works because you don't have enough floor spacing. And you know what that means? That means I'm going to keep going back to this take and everyone's going to keep calling me crazy. It means Malik Brown needs to start getting some confidence about shooting some threes because even if they're not going in, it still poses a threat if he's willing to shoot them. Ethan, Jesse Edwards did a three last year. Oh, that was that I, was, I that, that, was, was a sh- that was a shot clock I know that, desperation. Heat. I know that was a different thing, but I agree with you wholeheartedly, Ethan. If this team truly wants to even play Malik Brown at the five seriously a few weeks down the line, then I think he has to get a perimeter game because the tougher and better your competition gets, the more likely centers are going to have an outside game. And how do you protect Judah? Five out offenses that can, when you have all when you have five guys that are threats to shoot it from beyond the arc. And you mentioned the lineup of Judah, JJ, and Copeland. Starling and Copeland cannot shoot the three-pointer. But they could, oh, right. Uh, I think they could play together if Judah's off the floor. But I, I think it, you know, the lineup that worked really effectively last night was Judah and Quadir on the floor at the same time. Yeah. Because if you have Quadir taking the, the, you know, the lead guard ball handling duties off of Judah, then it can be really effective. I, I so, I think the big thing we. So like, that leads me to a question for you. Fire away. Would you rather play Cuff or Copeland as the third Copeland. guard? Copeland. Copeland. Okay. I think Cop Copeland has pretty much solidified himself. He's the seventh guy. I at believe. This point. I believe Cuff is a better scorer than Copeland. I think that is the only thing Cuff's, Cuff does better than Copeland. And, well, he's a better shooter. I don't even know if I'd say better score. He's a better shooter. I think, well, scoring. I I, I consider Cuff to be a three-level scorer when he can get to the basket, which he can't always do because Quadri Copeland's more athletic. He's got better energy, better hustle. He can pass. He can defend. I'm taking Quadri Copeland over Kyle Cuff. I'm, and I I'm like right there Kyle with Cuff. You. And I yeah. like Kyle Cuff. It'll be interesting when Chance Westry comes back and he's if. healthy. Uh, it seemed like Adrian Autry said earlier this week that they're hoping to get him back in January, but not going to rush him. So we'll yeah. see. Uh, all right, let's take a look at this weekend's game against Georgetown. Number five. Syracuse and Georgetown. It still means something. Uh, I'll say that. It Liam, does. you'll be there. I'm excited to watch. Uh, it obviously doesn't have the gravitas and the excitement it did. It's at 1130 on Saturday <laughs> that it did in, in years past. It was at 1 p.m. last year, too. Right. So... But it still means something. It means something to the players. I'm sure it means something to the Syracuse coaches, uh, three of which are alums who played against Georgetown in their careers and had big moments against them. Ed Cooley's the new head coach of Georgetown, Trader. who Liam, I know you Trader. have some strong feelings about that we're not going to get into here on this podcast because you're a Providence fan, um, which is you know anti-Syracuse in a way, considering they used to be you know Big East foes. I, but I was a Providence fan before I came to Syracuse. This. This game still matters, and I'm excited to see what it is. But, I mean, I wrote it down. If Syracuse wants any chance of making the NCAA tournament, they have to win this game. I have two points. One, you talked about this game still mattering. Justin Taylor said it after the Cornell game on Tuesday night. Like, yeah, it's not the same, but we've watched the old videos. We know how special it is. 
were looking to go down there and get a win. Even though the rivalry is probably is not and probably never will be what it was 10 years ago when both these programs were in the Big East, people still care. Players still care. Coaches still care. Fans still care. I don't think it's a bad take to say this could be the highest attended Georgetown game in D.C. this season. It was among the highest attended games in the Dome last year. So, But I th- you mentioned it, Ethan. Georgetown, not a great basketball team. 220th in the net. Where are I, they in Ken Palm? Uh, let's find out right now. As, I know Syracuse is right around 100. As I look that up, I don't know how many good opportunities you're going to have to go on the road. Syracuse is 102. Georgetown is 175. I don't know how. I know their defense is really, really bad. Their defense is. I, I'm pretty sure it's in the 300s, and there are only 360 Division One basketball teams. Oh, they don't. Uh, they don't change the rankings. Oh, 308. 308th in defense in adjusted defensive efficiency. I don't know. So Syracuse offense better have a field day on Saturday. I, I hope so. I I don't know how many more opportunities Syracuse is going to have to get a win on the road this season with. How tough ACC players. No, and you know the non-conference. It, 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 you know it's good to have a resume win. And no, this would not even be a resume win. But you it can't have not. a resume loss. You can't have a bad loss. No. And no. this would probably this would be a quad three loss, I believe. This would be a quad three loss. So you're trying not to have losses lower than quad two if you're Syracuse. Yeah. That's been a problem the last couple of years. Avoiding that against Georgetown is going to be really important. And then Oregon's your last ga- chance for a big non-conference win coming up a week from Sunday. And the committee really values wins yeah. like that. So these next two games are really, really important for Syracuse. Absolutely, Ethan. And you mentioned the Oregon game. The Ducks are a team that right on the bubble of the NCAA tournament, and Syracuse is nowhere near that class yet, but if you get to March and you're in that class, you know, getting a win against an opponent in a similar state to you, the committee really values that. Yeah, it'll be really exciting. What uh, what are you looking forward to about your trip to D.C.? Oh my gosh. Uh, Going to enjoy the monuments tomorrow night before the game, but I mean, I, I just can't wait to see, because I was also at Syracuse-Georgetown in the Dome last year. It'll be fascinating to see the other side of the rivalry, like hearing what Georgetown fans have to say, how amped that crowd is going to get. And in a fairly big arena, Capital One Arena, the home of both the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards, that's really what I'm looking forward to. From a game perspective, is it going to get I don't, is it going to get chippy, for the lack of a better word? I don't think we're going to see a player lose a tooth like Marek Dolzhai did or Patrick Ewing or and Pearl Washington go at it. I'm not, I have a hard time thinking Don Trez Styles and Malik Brown are going to develop that much of an animosity, but how badly do the players want this game? I would hope pretty badly. I would hope so, too. It'll be really fun to watch. Syracuse fans, let us know how excited you are for SU oh, and Georgetown. Can I get a prediction? Sure. Oh, out of me? Yeah. Sure. Um... I do think Syracuse will win. I think it'll be high scoring. I'll go Syracuse, let's say, it is on the road. I'll say Syracuse 78, Georgetown 72. I've got Syracuse 77, Georgetown 72. Look I at that. It, I have it written down so we can't claim I'm copying him. Wow, look at that. Just like us, right in lockstep I here. I know, right? All right. That's, that what makes, will, that's what makes it such a good Fizz 5 pairing. That will do it for this edition of your OG Fizz 5 pairing. Be sure to check out our website, theorangefizz.com, and find us on X at Orange Fizz, where we'll have live game updates and coverage daily is where you can find everything on our website and game updates for Syracuse basketball and Syracuse football, of which there will be a lot of in the coming weeks. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll have a new crew back next week, but make sure you check out all of our content going on on social media and theorangefizz.com. We'll talk to you next week. 
And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.